Hey, thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Aston, and this is the Digital Project Manager Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Brian Kessman, and today we're going to be talking about his article that he just wrote for us on building and scaling digital project management teams within an agency. But before we get on to talking about your article, Brian, why don't you just tell us a bit about yourself? Where are you and, and what are you up to? Yeah, sure. So first, thanks for having me on your podcast and for the invitation to write the blog post. I enjoyed doing that. Um, so for me, I am uh, based in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Uh, I'm originally from uh, New York. I grew up in Long Island and lived in Manhattan for a number of years. Um, but now we're we're settled here. And uh, today I'm running a consulting firm, Lodestar Digital. And, uh, and that's my deal. Cool. So tell us a bit about um, Lodestar. What, uh, what does Lodestar do? Sure. Uh, so Lodestar is a consulting group. Uh, the focus is to help digital and creative agencies build and fix their digital services. Uh, so what that means uh, in terms of the work that I do it might be helping agencies with things like organizational or team structure changes, all in the name of delivering better digital work. Um, creating maybe new digital disciplines like digital project management um, and uh, scaling or streamlining workflow. Um, maybe sometimes it's implementing agile practices, but more of a modified version for the creative space. Um, so that's that's really the, the categories of services. Cool. And so you're obviously now consulting, doing this kind of thing. So how did you how did you get into digital project management and helping uh, agencies do this kind of thing? What's your what's your background? Um, for that. Yeah, well, so I, I first got into project management years ago when I was doing tech consulting. Um, and that sort of, uh, after tech consulting, I I had been in the advertising space already, but I took a, a, some time off to do tech consulting. That's where I got introduced to project management. Um, but when I went back into the agency space after that, I was able to apply those skills. Um, and so uh, for the past, I mean, overall, the past 17 or 18 years, uh, is really mostly with agencies of uh, digital variety or roles with traditional agencies, but the roles have been uh, digitally focused. Um, so that's really the the span of my experience. But the last 10 years specifically, the roles that I've been in have been focused on helping to improve uh, agency process um, and delivery and um, you know, website development, app development, things like that. And so um, I've seen a lot of... Uh, mainly growing pains. The agencies I've worked with have always been sort of on the small to mid-size um, range. And so as they would grow, I'd start to see similar patterns that I saw at other agencies and that I had already been able to fix. And so um, I decided to go out and, and help agencies today with those same problems because there's a lot more digital work that's happening these days. And I think a, a large amount of agencies are still struggling with that, either on the creative side to do digital for the first time or at least to expand that. We're digital agencies that are just growing and, and need the help being better at that. Yeah. So um, what are the kind of, so you talk about um, yeah, helping kind of traditional agencies become digital and, and, and scaling. So what are the kind of typical challenges that you encounter with that? What are the, what are the typical problems that people face? Because I'm sure it will resonate with some of our listeners who are probably experiencing similar problems. Sure. Yeah. So, um, for the most part, I think the main cause of a lot of challenges within a creative agency is sort of the, the siloed approach to having your, um, your disciplines, uh, where you're still handing off work or tossing it over the wall to the next team or group that needs to work on it. 
Um, it's not as bad as it used to be, but it still happens, especially in larger traditional agencies. Um, and so what I try and do for them is offer the, um, sort of the cross discipline team model, uh, where you really have the, either these fixed or temporarily, um, assigned cross-functional teams where they're working together. There's more transparency, um, better understanding of each person's role. Um, a lot of that really, um, increases everybody's digital awareness or skill set. Um, just one example is, um, maybe like, uh, you may have a designer working on, um, I don't know, website design, but they're not really digitally focused. So they're not taking into consideration a responsive layout or anything like that. And so the, by the time they hand it off to the digital designer to actually do the, or, or developer to do the work, you have to do a lot of rework because some of those, some of that thinking wasn't considered. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> it's, it's that classic scenario of, yeah, when someone's never, uh, yeah, done a website design before and they, they, um, yeah, they just use some kind of crazy layout dimensions or something. And you're like, hold on a second. <laughs> that's not, that's not how we do websites. But it's the, uh, it's those kind of details that sometimes you can forget about. Yeah. Or like, uh, here's the billboard design, but there's been no thought about the landing page it's driving to or something like that. Yeah. Just turn it into a, yeah, just turn the billboard into a landing page. <laughs> <laughs> it's just with a button, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Cool. So, and tell us about like digital project managing. Obviously, you're consulting with agencies and you're tr- trying to help them do uh, things better. So, it, what are the kind of tools that are in your toolkit, or is there anything that you found recently where you're like, "Oh, this is amazing! Everyone should be, everyone should be using this." What yeah, well, uh, What have you discovered recently? Yeah. So, something that I'm hooked on is it's fairly new. I think Envision recently released something that is called designbetter.co. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. No, I don't think I've seen that. They're really trying to, you know, help people improve their design practices and not in terms of visual design, but design for solving business problems. And and they have a, a lot of great podcasts and blog posts, email courses all from top design leaders out there. And it's, it's an incredible resource for really understanding how to build great products and teams. Um, the content's really rich. So I'm, I'm in love with that right now, listening to as much of that as I can. And, and I recommend it for everybody. I think it's, it's yeah. really, it goes across whatever discipline you're in. So it's fantastic. Uh, but that's more for education and, and just, you know, growth. So, um, in terms of my tool set, though, um, because my work is consulting and not necessarily doing the digital project management, thing, yeah, you know, I, I rely heavily on workshops, uh, interviews, surveys, um, things like stakeholder mapping to really outline where relationships might be broken inside inside an agency, um, and then there's the usual process mapping and you know the skills gap analysis. I use that skills matrix that I posted in the blog post and things like that. Good stuff, and uh, but going back to the tools though, because everyone loves tools. So when you're when you're helping agencies make that tr- transition to be more digitally focused or to um, begin to work together in teams, are there tools, any tools that you found um, really help people in that transition and begin to be less siloed and uh, work a bit differently? Yeah, sure. It's it's what you'd guess. It's more workflow management software. And, um, you know, take your pick. There's tons out there. 
it's whatever the the agency happens to be most comfortable with. I mean, Jira is phenomenal for you know software product development. I know a lot of agencies do use it for creative work. Um, there's there's a ton out there, but uh, that's the main thing. It's really about creating that transparency uh, for the work and streamlining yeah. that workflow through collaboration. You know, all of that. Good stuff. Well, let's go on and and talk about your article. And so. Um, we yeah we published Brian's article and it's a it's was really about scaling digital project management teams um, and how to do it properly. So if you haven't checked it out yet, go and read it. It's a great resource. Whether or not you're in a lead position within your digital project management team, because um, this is a step by step guide really to building a DPM team. And even if you don't think, okay, well, that's not directly applicable to me um, right now. I'm not actually building a team. Um, I think you actually find this quite useful anyway. Some of the things that we're going to discuss are totally applicable to you as you think about, too, how you run your projects. You're just kind of applying them on a different scale. Uh, so um, in the article, Brian talks about the, these five P's of scaling a PM team. Uh, so as a sneak preview, um, the five P's are purpose, people, partnerships, process, and performance. So purpose is about bringing stakeholders together to agree on why you're scaling digital project management. People is about getting the right people with the right skills and experience for the right salaries. Partnerships is about uh, in-house partnerships and structuring the team and, uh, so that the, the project that the project managers need to be successful process kind of process tools templates you need to be able to be consistent and deliver value and performance is about monitoring and, and kind of rolling out the improvements over time so i've kind of that's a very very quick summary but um check out the article to to read more about that but we're just going to kind of dive into uh the first of those purpose and this is the this is the why digital project management teams exist. And uh, I think this is great. So often I think people find themselves uh, being tasked with being the digital project manager in the agency. I, we actually see it in the, in the Slack team a lot. Uh, we have people joining and they say, hey, I've just been given the role as digital project management. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do now? And often it's a knee jerk reaction to something going wrong. Um, people are thinking, hold on, these digital projects, they're not quite working the same way as the other projects we are running um, or or our, our projects are going over budget all the time. They're always delivered late. So, hey, we need someone to blame uh, here. You, you, you be the DPM. Um, so um, I'm wondering kind of what kind of variation in what you've laid out. So you kind of laid out a, a kind of a purpose for digital project management and kind of recommended what that might be. But what kind of variation do you see there being in the why of digital project management within an agency? Yeah, I think the variation, uh, it's not really varied purposes. I think it's how somebody chooses to articulate it, but mainly the, the, at the core, it's really always the same. Uh, I think the variation really is whether somebody has even taken the time to articulate the purpose of that group. And that's, that's like you said, that's the challenge of being put into a DPM role and that hasn't been defined and no one's sure. You're not sure what you should be doing and no one's sure what you're doing and you can't get the help or support. You're not really set up to succeed. And so, yeah, I, I don't think it really varies in terms of what the core of that purpose is, providing someone's taking the time to do that, to define that. 
Yeah, and so one of the things that, because um, myself having set up some digital project management teams, I think there's this, the challenge is, okay, you've been brought in to start a team and uh, you're you're trying to scale your team, um, but you've got this balance, right, because you've got the status quo and uh, where there wasn't digital project management perhaps, and then you've got this new era in which you've got a digital project management team, um, but normally you're starting off small. So how do you scale that? How do you, um, as a someone setting up a digital project management team, make sure you're not biting off more the more than you can chew, and then kind of finding yourself totally overwhelmed? What's that? How have you kind of helped with that transition process before, and kind of working out how much is too much? Sure. Well, um, so all the steps, the, the whole thing is a system. They work together. And providing you've taken that time to really define purpose, it'll be easy to take the next step, which is the answer to your question. It's about specialization. Really just focus on what is that specific value or, or the outcomes that you're going to provide in your role. It really needs to focus on you know, one specialization. And, that, and if you stick with that, you shouldn't find yourself in a spot where you've taken on too much. And so, for example... Um, Producing successful projects by reducing risks and issues through planning is the example purpose that I gave for PMs. And so the outcome that you need to focus on is that successful project. And the value is really reducing risk and issues. But the specialty that you need to hone in on and just stay within is that project planning specialty. And I think if you look at it that way, um, you'll, it'll be clear sort of there there's going to be gray areas on both sides where you can start to dabble in other things, but you know where your, your specialty is and you can stay focused. Yeah, uh, that's good stuff. Cool. So next to you, you go on to talk about people and I think it's, uh, it's so true. You, you talk about, you know, identifying, uh, the person who, um, who was, you talk about being critical to have the right person leading the team. And uh, so I'm curious as to, you know, how how you identify leaders. I think some of our listeners thinking, hey, I want to be the person who is kind of singled out as being the person to lead the PMO. Um, so what are, what are the skills that they should be developing? Uh, like how do you develop, how do you identify leaders and what are the skills that or kind of characteristics that you're looking for in people who might be, right for leading a, a, a PMO team? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's the balance of hard skills and soft skills, right? So do you have that one, the experience or, or the war wounds um, to you know help people actually do the day-to-day tactical type of stuff? Um, but on the other side, and this is really the more important side, I think, for the leadership role is the soft skills. Um, are you able to inspire and motivate your team? Because if, if you're going to help them, they also, uh, they need to respect you and you need to be uh, inspiring and to, to have empathy for, for what they're doing on a daily basis. And, um, you know, understanding the perspectives that they have in their particular role. Um, so, so that's a big part of it. I mean, I think, really supporting them. It's almost like that servant leadership um, concept where you're not really doing, you're just helping them do. And so um, you just need to move those barriers out of their way so that they can continue to learn and grow. And you need to you know, give them the pieces of the puzzle or, or the support to do that. And I think that's a big piece of, of being a great leader. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, to- yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think the, um, 
it's interesting that you in in kind of describing what that role looks like the leader of the the project management team um you talk about f- about 50% or even more of their time being spent mentoring and supporting um so for for those of listeners who are thinking oh hold on i lead a team but i probably don't spend that much time mentoring and supporting tell me what for for you that kind of mentoring and supporting um looks like and i mean i know for me when um leading a a pm team a lot of that mentoring and supporting is um doing things like reviewing weekly status reports with the pms reviewing their forecasting reviewing their estimates and their scopes of work and their timelines um and you know kind of going over the nuts and nuts and bolts of things but are there any is there anything in particular around the mentoring side of things that you found um to be a helpful thing in helping more junior PMs kind of up their game. Yeah, I think it's just being there for them to to talk and through those conversations, if you know what you're listening for, you'll you'll be able to, you know, hone in on some areas that they may be challenged with but maybe not realizing that, you know, from their perspective. And I think you get that from either whether it's weekly or monthly one-on-ones just sitting down maybe going to coffee or having lunch, you know, once a month with each PM individually. Um, you know, the other side of it, it's certainly all those other things that you mentioned too. Um, and part of that is also behavioral. So sitting in on some of their meetings, like kickoffs or onboarding meetings and just seeing how they conduct themselves. And, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, so it's, again, it's, it's really observing and, uh, then offering that feedback. This, you know, this ties into the skills matrix that I had mentioned as well in, in the post. I think if you've taken that step to outline the skills that, you know, uh, an entry level or mid-level senior level PM should have, you know, through your observations, you can then start to map out where you feel they are with their skill sets and using those real examples from sitting in on those meetings, for example, um, to really, you know, show this is why I've given you that score on that skills matrix. But here's where I think you should be by, you know, six months from now and let's get you there. This is what what we're going to do. So I think, you know, that that's all part of that mentoring idea. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And then one of the things you mentioned that I was kind of curious to ask you about was professional development too. And uh, for a digital project manager, what are the, yeah, what are the kind of professional development things that a, a DPM could be thinking about doing? Like, what do you, do you think there's any value in doing your PMP or a scrum master or any of your other designations um what have you found to be actually useful rather than just where i find it's often just a certification where which is kind of hard to apply to the the world of digital pm um what have you found to be really useful uh so there's two parts to that answer i think there's one when i was when i was managing projects and then there's um what I think in general uh, beyond that, um, that's beyond that uh, applicable to what you're doing on a day to day. So when I was managing projects, I did study for the PMP. I never actually took the exam, but I got to the point where I was about to, and I thought, you know what, I, I think I've learned all I need to. And, and the certification is only really going to be another thing on my resume. And I just didn't want to go through that at that point. I didn't feel the need. Um, I did go through, um, certified scrum master and product owner training. And I thought that was invaluable. I think everybody should absolutely do that because it just, if you're not familiar with agile, it gives you such a, a another way to look at such a different way to look at uh, the work that's being done. And, and it also 
is where the industry is heading. I think for the majority agencies that um, I think they should all be considering that or a modified version of agile. So yes, I think those things are important. Um, but I think also outside of, you know, what you're doing on a, to help you with what you're doing on a day-to-day basis is learning other disciplines to some extent, because PMs touch basically every role in the organization. And you really need that understanding of the design discipline or the development discipline. And so get your hands dirty with some coding or uh, listen to that Envision, uh, the Envision podcast I mentioned. Those are great for really understanding the the design discipline. And so I think those things, so you start to get into those areas that you're always touching, you can collaborate better and support better. So that's what I'd recommend. Yeah, no, I think, I think that is, that's really solid advice. I think, um, yeah, the more as PMs that we can get to grips with what our teams are doing, the better that we'll be able to, um, identify roadblocks on the road, on the road ahead. So it's being able to anticipate the things that are about to go wrong before they go wrong. And I think the, the more knowledge that we've got of actually the work that our teams are doing, whether or not that's even yeah, from strategy, UX design, dev, um, QA, it's having an awareness of what people are doing um, and what they should be doing uh, enables us to have a insight in, into help them solving problems. Often it's just being able to ask them the right question and uh, just a little bit of knowledge can be a, a really useful thing yeah, sure. uh, to, mean- to help with that. You mentioned the strategy side. I, I think that is extremely important. I think, you know, PMs are usually working closely with designers and developers, so they may already have a lot of that um, knowledge or enough. Um, but I think it's rare to really be rubbing elbows with the strategy team, uh, depending on how you're structured. And I think if you can sharpen your elbows and sort of get in there a little bit, um, that'll help you go a long way, too, with how you're looking at your projects and managing them and, and making sure it stays on strategy and it's that's just a great another great discipline that I don't think a lot of PMs have a chance to uh, interact with as often as design and development. And hopefully that's not true, and it's just what I've seen um, for the for for the groups that I've seen. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it can, it can be um, it can be siloed um, sometimes within a often yeah, often if there's a if there's an account management team or if the, the strategy is done by the group account director and then the project gets passed on. But I think it's so important that the PM understands the underlying strategy of what we're trying to achieve so that we can deliver success around, um, you know, achieving that strategy. So being strategic is, is so important to, um, you know, that you can provide opportunities to cut corners, but like the right corners, but also enhance projects in the right ways to make sure that f- fundamentally it's delivering results, which I think is obviously why we do a project in the first place. Um, so going back, you mentioned your, um, kind of skills matrix. And I just wanted to touch on that again, because I think it's really useful and a great template. But, um, obviously the, the, the template that you've provided is, uh, you haven't given all the answers for everybody. Um, so just in terms of thinking about is if someone's downloading this template um, and we've got uh, the different roles and the different skill areas, how do you how do you work out um, or, you know, identify, say, for example, a skill like project planning? Uh, and then you're thinking about, OK, well, across the different levels, these are the different kind of skills that someone should be able to demonstrate. But how do you? How do you decide that? What what goes in what box? 
Well, I think it's it's specific to, to it's different for every agency based upon the complexity of projects and the types of clients that you have. I think um, you know it, it, part of it is uh, some some groups don't have entry level PMs; they they only take on seniors. So it really all depends, and I think it's a, a team effort too. I don't think it's uh, a director of project management saying this is what I'm going to define and, and here you go team. It's, it's more of let's talk about the type of work that we do. What are the problem areas that we have or the opportunities or where are the gaps that we need to fill? And let's talk about um, how we feel each role should be able to handle that. And it should certainly be a collaborative exercise to define those. Um, and, and the more that happens, the more everybody's bought into it and understands they're not being evaluated uh, in a negative way against it. It's about growth and goal setting and ultimately just, doing a great job and, and, and understanding what everybody's capable of. Cool. Yeah. And no, I think, I think that's helpful. And, uh, just touching on one other, one other part of that in terms of, um, getting the right people, you talk about having the right person leading, hiring the right PMs. Um, how do you hire within a budget? I think it's one of those, one of the things you mentioned is, um, is do, is about doing that and it's this challenge i find with hr will always say <laughs> there's we don't have the budget to hire that senior person that you want but obviously as a someone leading a pm team usually you're going to want the most senior person you can so how do you what's your kind of advice on hiring within a budget yeah i think um that's why the, this is why the skills matrix is so important because you got to create that shared understanding um for what each type of pm or level of a pm is capable of doing so that you can make your case for why you need that senior level pm based upon you know the the project uh, challenges or the, or or the complexity of projects i think if you bring the hr person or even the finance person in on the skills matrix to communicate look here's what each each level is capable of um, when it comes time to hire, you can reference that matrix and, and uh, illustrate why you need that senior PM based upon that range of skill sets. And essentially, you're, you're a step beyond you know, just defining those skills in that matrix is assigning a pay range for each of those levels. And having them all, you know, you're pre-selling that to them. You're saying, this is, this is what's happening in the market right now, the competitive rates um, that we want to offer need to be in this range. If they've already agreed to that and are familiar with how you're um, evaluating PMs or, or thinking about the problem, um, then I think you know your your debate or your argument later on will be uh, less of a challenge because they're already aware of how you're going to go about it and they know who you're hiring for and what budget it's going to require. With that knowledge, they can then plan for that in their budgeting. I, I would hope anyway. Um, but yeah, so I think that's part that tool goes a long way to really uh, get what you need. Yeah, no, that that's really helpful. I think. Yeah, making the case for why you need a senior PM rather than a junior. Um, or, or I often find more often it's the case where you, um, actually you, you need additional junior support to help the senior PMs, um, be able to do their stuff better. So it's actually making the case for, Hey, if I had a junior PM, I, you know, actually free up the senior PMs to be more strategic. Um, and they don't, they don't need to spend their time filling out status reports and, um, updating timelines, but, um, that a, a more junior PM could do that and then free up the senior PM to do, um, more strategic, more strategic work. Um, so third, third up, the third P was partnerships. And this is all about relationships, um, 
within the agency. And you talk about using a racing matrix uh, for your overall agency process. So do you want to explain for those people who don't know what a racing matrix is, do you want to kind of explain that and then talk about how detailed you go with your with your racing matrix in terms of the overall process? Because there's a, yeah, that could get really long and bloated, couldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It is a it, it is a lot of work to create one of these, and it takes a lot of uh, collaboration throughout each uh, over um, across all disciplines. And so, the Racy Matrix is um, it's it, it, imagine every step of your process uh, as detailed as you want to go, and I'd say only go as details as you as detailed as you need to. I wouldn't you know over over plan until there's a need, but essentially. Let's just say you're carving out the process phases uh, that you have in your agency and then the, the major steps or components of that process. And then at each of those steps, uh, RACI stands for Responsible, Accountable, Consulted, and Informed. And so you're marking on a grid who is uh, responsible and accountable, consulted, and informed. There can only be one accountable person. Um, so to explain those a little further... Um, the accountable person is the one to make sure that the work's getting done uh, in the right way with the right expectations. And so that's the the one person that's really um, going to guide how that all gets done. But the responsible people are the people doing the work. Consulted uh, and informed is, is somewhat obvious. I mean, who are you just checking in with for information? So, for example, if a designer is responsible for creating something, but a decision they want to make could impact scope uh, or timeline, then they need to consult the project manager. Um, and I think, uh, you know, you, again, you, you don't really, these things can take a while to build, uh, but you just start small and, and build on it over time as you find that you need additional clarity. Yeah, and no, I think that's, that's a really good kind of explanation of, uh, of delineating between those kind of different, the different, um, the different roles there. But one of the things that I found is that, um, especially as you're transitioning from a, or helping an agency become more digital. Um, you have a lot of people who want to be informed or want to be consulted at, at every step of the way. So how do you, what's your kind of top tips on removing the, uh, yeah, removing the number of consulted and informed people so that you're streamlining the project rather than uh, having to show every little thing to every man and his dog throughout, throughout the process. Uh, Because everyone, everyone like everyone thinks likes to think their opinion matters, but the truth is we don't want everyone's opinion a lot of the time. Well, I I think it's, I think it's a great problem to have because it just implies everybody's really passionate about their work. They're really, you know, invested in in the project. They want to be involved and that that's fantastic. Um, But I think that you do need to streamline that because you can't have 20 people in a room for every meeting. And so that's where, you know, I'll go back to one of my earlier answers about the workflow management software. Something, a tool like that creates a transparency, um, creates an opportunity for people to post a message in response to a decision or uh, that's either in the process of being made or a decision that has been made. Um, that's really where you can automate. So two things, you can, you can consult through there and then you can automate um, how people are informed by them just getting email updates and things like that. And so... Again, a tool like that is just really powerful and can handle a lot of the bloat issues that you mentioned and you know, having to involve everybody physically as opposed to just making sure email updates go out automated. Cool. Yeah, and I think, I think that's helpful. And uh, so let's 
go on to um, the PM favorites, P for process. And um, and you talk about standardizing process, which I think is which I think is really important, especially as uh, we're you know agencies are becoming more digital. But um, even within a digital agency, there's stacks of different kinds of projects. So how? Uh, so yeah, for example, you know, in the morning a PM might be working on a service design project, and uh, but in the afternoon they might be working on a website redesign project. So. How do you how do you universalize or standardize that to the extent that it's meaningful across different uh, kind of types of projects, um, but also that it's tailored enough so that there's there's a standard process for different types? How do you how kind of how do you manage that balance? Yeah, so uh, partially it's a strategic decision uh, by the agency whether or not they're going to specialize enough where you can be you know, so focused and, and have this repeated process across your different project types. Um, so is the agency saying, look, we're going to focus, we're going to, we're going to have one or maybe just a, a few specialty verticals and capabilities like, uh, an augmented reality agency that may focus on home improvement products or something like that. So that, you know, they're showing home improvement products. You can use augmented reality to show that in real time in, in your environment, something like that's their specialty, you know, who they're serving, you know, what they do for that for that vertical. Um, and so if you do that, then all of your projects, your project types uh, are going to be limited. And then you're able to really standardize the processes for those project types. Um, even if you don't do that though, as an agency, there's going to be patterns on your different projects. And I think that's your first step is can you categorize those project types and identify those patterns and at least standardize the stuff that does always happen. Um, ideally, you know, you are working for an agency that did decide to specialize and and you have that luxury that I described, but there's always going to be patterns, uh, things that you uh, are going to repeat from time and time again, and you can standardize that and then you can work on optimizing it and streamlining. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, I think that's really helpful. And I think one of the other things that I found helpful is, um, picking the most complex type of project that your agency will do. And uh, and building the that that standard process around the most complex thing that you could possibly be doing, um, and then as you have different types of projects, there it becomes a subset of that kind of overall process standardization, um, rather than being um, rather than being something different. So, um, uh, yeah, so if you think about, you know, if it's just a UX or strategy project, well, it's just the beginning parts of a much larger, say, platform, uh, re-platforming project, uh, where it's kind of the discovery and planning parts um, that are essentially the same as a kind of strategy UX project. So it's it's um, it's designing, yeah, designing for the most complex, and then kind of extracting from that for the uh, for the smaller types of projects. I found um to be pretty useful in the past but because i think that's this standardization is so important in terms of garnering efficiencies within the agency the worst thing that can happen if you're an agency that's not a can you know a a specialist um but does lots of different things is when every time that you uh, run into one of these projects um that's you know slightly different to to things that people have done before uh, people get confused uh, the projects go way over budget because people are cycling doing tasks that they think will help deliver 
the project, but actually <laughs> it's just um, makeup work. So uh, I think having this kind of overall, big overall process and, and being able to extract pieces of that um, is really important to make sure that you're not just um, doing tasks that aren't actually going to improve the, the end deliverables for the project. Yeah, I agree. Cool. So finally, um, performance. I think, and this is something that I think often we neglect. Um, how often do you think we should look at that? And how do you, um, you've kind of identified some kind of soft goals, but um, yeah, just tell us about performance and, and how you measure that um, so that so that you continually improve. Yeah, sure. So, um, again, like start small, right? And so maybe choose one or two things that you really want to focus on uh, to, to move the needle a bit, right? And so um, one of the examples from the list that I gave for possible KPIs, key performance indicators is what's your average project turnaround time or what's the um, on-time rate or profitability, things like that. And those are some of the easy things, right? The, the, hard, um, the hard goals there. Uh, and figure out how you're going to, you're going to measure that. And so, I mean, some of it's easy, right? Cause you have just the financial outcome of the project, but when you get to the soft goals that you mentioned, that's a little harder, right? So, um, what you can use are internal and client surveys. And I would say run those, um, quarterly, at least internally, you may not want to hit your clients every quarter with a, a survey like that. Um, uh, but internally, I think it's fair to send out a quarterly survey Hey, how are we doing with improving our process, improving the employee experience? Um, and then from, you know, every quarter from those results, let's figure out what we're going to change for the next quarter and continue to move that needle further towards, you know, improvement. Um, but, uh, you know, client surveys are also powerful. There's the net promoter uh, score uh, that you can send out. Would a client recommend you uh, is basically the only question in that survey. And then you can provide some a, quali- a field for qualitative feedback where they can explain Um, why they gave you whatever score they gave you. Um, That information is really helpful. You want to make sure that not only are you improving internally for for your own agency, but are you continuing to increase the value you're delivering to your own clients and so that they're going to stick around for a while. Um, So, yeah, so I listed a bunch of KPIs on there, but ultimately when it comes to qualitative stuff, you have to rely on the surveys, and and, uh, I think that's your your best tool. And how do you, uh, like, I've done... I've done um, net promoter score surveys with clients before. Um, any tips for actually getting people to to fill them out? I know they're really simple. It's like three questions often, or yeah, or maybe just sometimes one question. Like, would you recommend us? Um, but uh, but people hate surveys. <laughs> so how have you how have you, uh, have you in, how have you encouraged people to do that in a in a way that's not going to impact the score? <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, so it's the the um, relationship aspect too. So uh, just to clarify, I guess you shouldn't just rely on the surveys. It's also um, having those conversations uh, so that they're seeing you as a partner and not somebody who's just shooting over a survey, um, somebody who's invested in their relationship. Um, and so uh, talking with them about it. And if they're not if they're not responding at that point, give them a call because you've already been maintaining that relationship. So give them a call and remind them. But you're right. I mean, in general, it's hard to get people to answer those surveys. Um, I mean, at a minimum, is it a mobile-friendly survey, I would hope? So that's yeah, low-hanging fruit there. But um, 
yeah, I don't know. That that's a tough one. I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's really up to the relationship. Hopefully, that's strong enough, and, and you can give him a call and nudge him. Cool. Good stuff. Well, Brian, thanks so much for joining us. It's been great having you with us. And I think the discussion that we've had today on building and scaling teams is uh, is such an important uh, topic. So thanks so much for being part of the discussion today. Yeah, sure. Glad to do it. This is fun. Thanks, Ben. Cool. So if you'd like to contribute to the conversation, comment on the post and head to the community section of the digitalprojectmanager.com to join our Slack team where you'll find all kinds of interesting conversations going on. But until next time, thanks so much for listening.